Welcome to the Brand Design Masters podcast, the show dedicated to helping you build the skills you need to design bulletproof brands for yourself, your business, and for the clients and customers you serve. And now, here's Philip. Before we jump into the show, I want to let you know that my signature course, Brand Strategy 101, is now open for enrollment inside the Brand Design Masters Academy. This is a foundational course for creative professionals and entrepreneurs who want to get started with brand strategy so you can sell bigger projects, increase your fees for the creative work you already do, and get paid for the thinking and advice you've probably been given away for free. The moment you enroll, you get immediate lifetime access to seven modules of training with over eight hours of instructional videos, 25 lessons in all, plus 24 downloadable strategy tools and conversation guides. In Brand Strategy 101, I've taken complex strategic methodologies used by the world's most respected global branding agencies and crafted them into a deceptively simple turnkey process and toolkit that you can use with your clients, even if you've never done brand strategy before or don't know where to start. Brand Strategy 101 draws from my 25 years of experience working with clients ranging from entrepreneurs to small to medium-sized businesses all the way up to the Fortune 100. So if you're ready to up your game and bulletproof your career and protect your business from the downward pricing pressure of sites like Fiverr and Upwork, then Brand Strategy 101 is the place to start. Just go to philipvandusen.com BS101 and enroll in Brand Strategy 101 today. Again, just go to philipvandusen.com BS101 and enroll now. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Brand Design Masters podcast. I'm your host, Philip Van Dusen. And today I am super excited because I am here for a second time with Lee Matthew Jackson, who is the host of Trailblazer FM. Trailblazer FM is a podcast helping agencies love what they do. He's also the co-founder of Event Engine, which provides web tech to professional conference organizers to attract more traffic, footfall, as they say in the UK, better sponsors, and to grow their community. A husband and father of three, Lee loves nothing more than spending time with his beloved family. Their family motto is, together is our favorite place to be. With that, I welcome Lee. Hey, hey. Thank you, buddy. Yeah, together is totally our favorite place to be. We were out once at a little craft shop here in the UK, and we just saw that on a plaque, and we instantly purchased it because it totally resonated. We're a family who likes to travel around. We like to go around all sorts of places in the UK and around the world, although COVID has kind of kept us here in the UK bubble for at least three years now. But when we saw that plaque, that was that became our motto. No matter where we are together as a family is our favorite place to be. Even if it is stuck at home in lockdown, we've had an absolute blast. So yeah, that's us (laughs) in a nutshell. It's cemented or frustrated (laughs) a lot of families, (laughs) COVID, I think. And I'm glad to hear that it's been an advantage to yours. Yeah, basically, we don't hate each other, so that's good. (laughs) This is your second time on the show, I just want to say. We spoke, I don't know how many years ago it was, but it was a while back. And at that point, you had a web agency called Angled Crown, and then you also had Trailblazer FM at the time. And you also had another company, which I didn't even know about, which is one of the things we're going to talk about today. So why don't you just kind of map out your brand ecosystem for people so they can understand kind of the range of things that you're doing? So if we go back to when we did that original interview, I had Angled Crown, which was an agency focused on offering white label solutions to other design agencies. I had a coding department and we would be able to build websites from your designs. So that was 
my entire angle just focusing on creating awesome websites from awesome designs from design agencies. And I actually started the podcast originally as the kind of driver for that agency. Equally in the background, unbeknownst to the world, I guess, is I also have an agency called Event Engine. I've always liked to have multiple projects going on. I'm one of those people who grew up in quite a poor family. So we always knew not to put all of our eggs in one basket. My dad had multiple jobs. So did my mum. And we as kids learned very quickly to kind of do multiple things. So I've always had Event Engine ticking along in the background for the last 10 to 15 years now. And that's kind of become our main agency. You'd think during COVID that a company providing web tech to physical conference organizers would probably go bust. But actually, we've had the best two years ever because we've been able to flip that switch and support those physical conference organizers into getting them online. We already had the experience in the tech and we were able to kind of digitize those events. And obviously, we're more than happy that they're now able to go back into physical locations as well. So that's kind of the main business, the main focus. And what we did just at the beginning of COVID was essentially take Angled Crown's dev team and we moved them across into Event Engine because it became very obvious that Event Engine was going to need to level up the software that we already had and to provide new services. So it made more sense instead of me trying to run two different agencies serving two different client bases to bring everything under one company, but still keep my baby, which is Trailblazer FM. I love podcasting. I love showing up on podcasts like this and, and on video on YouTube as well. So that's kind of never going to go away. It's the passion project. So you've got Trailblazer, the passion project. You've got Event Engine that pays the mortgage. So Event Engine, you said, had the best couple of years ever because of COVID. So we had a lot of physical conferences that had to go digital. And you were in the catbird seat for making that happen for people, which is awesome. So congratulations on that. Now that COVID is lightening up in areas of the world, and I'm sure that a lot of those events are going to go back to physical. For instance, Social Media Marketing World that I just attended physically in San Diego also had a hybrid digital component to it at the same time. Do you think that some of these physical events that went digital for COVID are now going to continue to do digital in addition to physical, or are they going to turn off the digital spigot and go back to live? What are you seeing? Right now, we're seeing that hybrids are very popular. And I would like to predict kind of on the internet archives forever that digital events probably aren't going away. The entire world has been able to experience working from home. And there is also on the flip side, on a global level, a massive concern about the environment. So if we're all going to jump on planes and travel all over the place and go to these events, that increases our overall carbon footprint. So you've now got people on one side who actually enjoy staying closer to home and not traveling so much, so being close to family. And you've also got the added benefits and the cost benefits of going digital, as it were, or having a digital element for those people that really don't want to traipse across the world to your event. So I do think hybrids are going to stay. For us as a business, we're going to continue to serve both. We've already spent you know, 10, 15 years serving physical events. We'll continue to do that. We've learned a few extra lessons during COVID, which we can apply uh, to those events, especially on things like engagement. You, you have to really almost struggle on a digital event to get your guests to engage with each other. But what we've learned there, we can then you know, help our clients apply in the physical equally. But we're all also now developing new products and services for online specifically for that reason. We do believe there is going to be an online element. Just to throw into the mix, though, that I'm doing my own event. And as a test, uh, this time in November, we're not going to record it. We're not doing a digital element at all. It's a physical one that you have to go to. If you want to get the content, you've got to be in the room. Otherwise, sorry. And we just want to see how that message 
um, hits as well with potential attendees, which goes completely against what I just said, but it's a bit of fun. Worth it. <laughs> yeah, well, you got to push the uh, boundaries on both sides, right? So I think that that's an awesome, awesome, interesting learning. One of the things you said that kind of piqued my interest was you struggle to get attendees of digital events to engage. And I've been a member and you know attendee of a lot of digital events and also a guest speaker at a number of them. And some have been more successful at others to get people to engage in the comments, ask questions, raise their hand, talk to each other in breakout rooms. What are the learnings that you've come to in the last couple of years that facilitate or kind of encourage people to actually engage in digital events? What are the secrets? Uh, well, I'll share with you a few secrets. So we did ATL 2020. So Agency Transformation Live 2020 was going to be a physical event. We brought it online, obviously, because we were slap bang in the middle of a lockdown. So no one was legally allowed to attend. So we went online and just the simple aspect of adding a little chat room on kind of a chat box on the right-hand side through chat roll. I think it's chatroll.com. Nice and cheap. Plop down on the side. And then in the live stream, the important part was to continue to engage the camera as the host and to also make sure that my speakers and my kind of sub anchors, as it were, were constantly asking questions and getting the audience to answer those and then also speaking those out live. It was an entirely live experience. It felt like we were doing a full-on live stream, say on Facebook or some sort of big social platform again, like YouTube. And it was just such an amazing experience. We also added to that kind of not enforced, but an encouraged lobby area where people could go and hang out in lobbies to have conversations. And because we had volunteers within our business, and just volunteers who wanted to help out, we had them go into those rooms to help instigate conversations. So it's almost like a, a kind of a team leader per room to get people chatting with each other and to encourage them to go in. What we also did by default was everyone had their cameras and mics muted when they entered the room. So they didn't feel any pressure to join in. They could just listen for a while. And we found a lot of people were listening in, using the little chat bit for a while, and then turning their camera on and that joining in the conversation as well, because you know they could see this was a safe space. So that was our experience. However, we've come to recognize that not every community is the same. We're really lucky that we've got a big, vibrant Facebook group for Trailblazer FM. So obviously, everyone knew each other. It was a lot easier for us to create engagement. On the flip side, we've got clients who don't have those sorts of communities. They are professional conference organizers. They will hit email lists, they will buy data, they will hit the telephone, and they'll get a whole load of strangers together. And that does work in a physical environment because you kind of have to introduce yourself to each other. On a digital event, you don't really have to. You can hide behind your computer. You can kind of work with the event open on a tab. So trying to encourage people in a digital event in that sort of community is a lot harder. You can still do a few of the things that I've said you know, the chat, encouraging people to have conversations. What we kind of found worked best, at least for those digital formats, instead of having unique tables or unique breakout rooms, just to limit it to two lobbies where there would be a representative in each lobby. And we would encourage people during the coffee breaks to go and have a conversation in there and meet new people, etc. We've not tried any high-tech stuff. We have tried those networking apps that you can get and people were just being automatically paired. So for example, I won't mention any names, but there is a very big event platform that's like worth 4 billion or something ridiculous. And they do this kind of random matchmaker where you end up having video conversations with complete strangers. And we've heard a lot of negative feedback that that's not really been helpful to people. It just enforces you into a room with someone who might not even be relevant. Uncomfortable. Exactly. Just awkward. So we just figured we're not going to go out now on our client events to force people to engage, but we're just going to give them lots of these opportunities. And of course, trained 
our clients for when they're doing their live streams to continue to encourage participation, uh, you know, ask questions, answer questions, or go into lobbies at set point to offer their experiences. Equally, we did the same with sponsors as well for all of those events. So the sponsors that have their own booths. And of course, you encourage things like, hey, number one sponsor, please show up. <laughs> that would help because a lot of sponsors don't show up on the events you and I attend. It's annoying. You go into their lobby, there's no sponsor there. Uh, so there's no one to talk to, but also then have a few offers, a few things that people can do. Maybe it's Q&A, maybe it's competition, et cetera, just to get people into your room. Quite a few of the WordPress communities do that really well uh, in some of the WordPress events that I go in. You'll have a sponsor in there and they'll be playing a spin the wheel game or you know they'll be doing a little mini micro talk or giving away some free content. That's a few of the things we've learned. Unfortunately, I guess the short answer is it is different for each type of community and also for the personality of the event organizer themselves. Not everyone is as chatty as I am or as expressive or can get people talking like maybe I could, or maybe you could, or, you know, uh, I don't know, Gary V could, et cetera. So put us on a level of Gary V there. Did you see that? You, me, Gary V? Yeah. yeah we can put <laughs> us in the same room. I'd have to like seriously up my F-bomb game. <laughs> I did a nap after talking to him. <laughs> <laughs> So some of the conferences that you put on are not like just design and marketing sort of conferences. It could be engineers and aerospace, right? So, I mean, those different categories and different sorts of businesses definitely bring with it a different personality type. Pharmaceuticals, medical, we've done them all, well, not all, but we've done many of them. Right, exactly. We just don't do adult content. That's the one line we draw. We don't do those events. One of the things that we talked about before we went live was we were going to call the show Pivots and Pirouettes, right? So we're going to hold you to that. You have had and have a number of businesses that you are running concurrently. And one of them, when we last talked, was Angled Crown, which was a web design agency. And you have taken your people and the force behind that, and you kind of have moved it over to Event Engine. Talk a little bit about what brought that pivot on and what it felt like, what worked, what didn't. Because I think it's really important for people to hear that businesses aren't always static. You experience this beast and famine, and sometimes the famine gets to a point where it's actually pointing you in a new direction or giving you an inflection point that you actually will you know, leverage into a new business. So talk about Angled Crown and what happened there. So the weird thing is, is Angle Crown was actually still very, very successful. The reason I kind of say from pivot to pirouette is I guess a pivot is somewhere where you kind of completely change direction. And a lot of the time a pivot is because of some kind of often quite negative force. Maybe there's a huge uh, recession globally and you have to pivot. That's exactly what we did in 2007, 2008. We had to pivot. The direction we were going was not working. And if we didn't change direction, we would have gone bust. For Angle Crown, we were actually growing, but because of that growth, I also had a, a team member who decided to leave as well at the same time. So I then had this choice of, do I train up another staff member? Do I maybe hire in a manager? And do I also keep kind of a part of my focus on this growing Angled Crown agency over here and also try and do the same over here? Or do I just say, you know what, focus everything on this one direction that I believe we're going to head in? You know, Trailblazer FM still makes money. It's got great sponsorship. Um, it does events. It makes money there and it sells courses. So that in itself is still a money spinner. I didn't necessarily therefore need to be running Angled Crown itself per se with those clients when I had this amazing dev team that could actually be blessing the company I had over here, which was Event Engine. So it was a very easy pirouette to say, right, you guys over here and existing clients we're going to partner you up with some amazing talent from around the world. And we still do that to this day. So I still actually generate income through people coming to us saying, hey, could you build us a site? And then we then match them up with 
the right agency, the right people that we know. And of course, we then get a thank you handshake. So you're getting a referral. You're getting, yeah, you're getting referral bonus, finder's fees. There you go. So we're still actually generating money without having to do the work. So people still recognize us, recognize the brand, know that we know good people. And we only recommend you to people we think you're going to resonate with and have got the relevant experience. And then, of course, I'm going to get some sort of a referral fee as well. So that just made so much more sense to do that sort of model than to try and run both businesses at the same time. There's still the monetary you know, turnover for both, but then my team are completely focused now on creating in well, two epic products within Event Engine. So the work that you're doing with Trailblazer, you say it's a passion project. And you started doing this while you were with Anger Crown, so it kind of fit nicely in a Venn diagram with that agency work. Is Trailblazer still associated or does it operate on the same themes as Event Engine? Do those things have the same sort of relationship that Angled Crown and Trailblazer did? Where does Trailblazer fit into your passion world? I'm quite good at separating the two. So my business partner often says I'm very black and white. I I can't see gray areas. Trailblazer is this entity that just lives on its own that I work on. And then Event Engine is this entity on its own that I work on. However, it doesn't mean that I don't learn and apply those experiences into the content I create for Trailblazer and vice versa. So as I'm learning stuff through some of the guests on the Trailblazer podcast, et cetera, or if I'm researching on how to market something for Trailblazer, I'll also say, hey, guys, I've been learning this over here. I think we should apply this to our funnels or we should do X, Y, and Z in order to generate more business or we should be increasing our prices because we interviewed this guy over here and holy crap, listen to this episode, et cetera, et cetera. So they do end up benefiting each other. But in my head, I still see them as two separate things, two separate brands. Um, I fully own and control Trailblazer and have a team that help me with that. I part own, as in half own, Event Engine with my amazing business partner, and we're growing something with a large team. So it's two very distinct businesses, both of which no longer take all of my time. It's, uh, it's nice to be able to do a bit over here and then have a team over here to take on a lot of the slack in Event Engine. I used to do nearly everything. I was actually the bottleneck of the business for a long time. This episode of the Brand Design Masters podcast is sponsored by Bring Your Own Laptop. BYOL.me is a top-tier Adobe application video training website featuring Daniel Scott. Daniel's a certified Adobe trainer and keynote speaker at the Adobe Max conference every year. At BYOL.me forward slash Philip, you can learn everything from the basics to advanced aspects of your favorite Adobe applications, all for one low monthly subscription fee. Visit BYOL.me forward slash Philip. P-H-I-L-I-P. Again, that's B-Y-O-L dot M-E forward slash Philip. I just know you're going to be amazed at Bring Your Own Laptops courses. Your team that you have with Trailblazer, you're recording a podcast. Obviously, you may have editors. You may have you know the, the imagery or graphics people or people who post repurposed across social platforms. What do you handle in Trailblazer and what does your team do for you there? And is that a full-time team? Is it VAs? Like, how do you do that? So I've got two full-time members of Trailblazer who help me. And then I've got a range of other VAs, contractors, et cetera. The kind of process flow is I come up with the ideas throughout the day, write them down. So that's ideas for content, ideas for events, or ideas for social media content or campaigns. Then I'll explain that to the team. So that'll be Priya and Kate. We'll get together, flat plan out some content. I might write the basics. Or I'll get Priya, say, to do some of the research for me. So for example, we just did a massive mega post on strategy for social media. 
the reason we did that is she was finding ways for us to improve our social media presence. And then we've been able to repurpose that content as a mega blog. I think it's something like 5,000 words or something like that, all in long sections, helping other agencies say, hey, look, this is what we found. We're going to try it all out, have some fun, hope this helps. So that means not only am I creating a lot of the content, but I can also get people like Priya to do a lot of the research and kind of fast forward the process of us coming up with some of that more longer form content. For podcasts and, and videos, it's very easy. I just jump on screen or on the podcast, do the performance as it were, and then hand that off to Bria and Kate and they do the rest. Um, I might give them a few pointers, but they're very good now at grabbing even those little quotables that I do. I don't have to tell you what they are anymore. Or autograms and stuff. Yeah. Everyone's been working with me so long now. They just know, oh, that sounded great. We'll, we'll take that. And I'll be like, yeah, they all sound fine. It's very rare do I say, nah, that one doesn't sound very good. So they write your show notes, they pull your quotes, they do all that for you. Hey, and a top tip, we use a little bit of AI to help us. Yeah? Yeah. What is it? So we use ContentBot. So that's ContentBot.ai, I think it is. And that allows us to just expand on some of the words. So Priya, for example, is based in India. English is not her first language. So what she'll do is essentially write up some of the notes as best she can, but then she'll feed it through something like ContentBot or QuillBot, I think it's called as well which will allow kind of the paraphrasing of the content that she's written. So it's in a more kind of understandable format. And then obviously I take it on and I'm kind of the final editor piece where I'll go through, tidy up the content, and then we'll publish that if it's anything that's written at least. I definitely wrote those down. I need that. <laughs> They're both really, really good. I do need to take myself out of the editing bit, as in the editing of written content. I no longer check videos. I no longer check podcast audio. Wait, how can you not check videos? I spent a couple hours checking videos this weekend and writing feedback about editing and stuff like that because my team also is not native English speakers. All right. Well, I'll send you a link after this. There's something called the Hilda format. I didn't invent. A guy called Ken Owazaki, I think his name is, uh, based in Tokyo, invented it. And he teaches it. And essentially, the flow of me recording a video is as simple as starting off with a hook, then the introduction, you know, who I am, basically. Then going through with the lead, kind of the before and the after. Then I deliver. That's the D of Hilda. Deliver the actual meat and potatoes. Maybe it's three points. Three things you can do to improve whatever. And then right at the very end is the ask. That's kind of the close of the video. So I essentially record each of those. And I will might do the hello, the, you know, the very beginning, three or four times until I'm happy. And the rules are, for my editing team, take the last one of each. And if I make a mistake, I clap. You know, I'm like, right, okay, take that bit out. You know what to do. And they'll have videos that are ready to rock and roll. I have watched videos now and again, especially if I know I fumbled and I want them to take a couple of fumbles out here or there. And so I'll go to that bit. And I don't really need to watch the whole video anymore because of that sort of process. I can't remember the link, so I'll send you it afterwards. But if anyone's interested in following uh, Ken and, and his work, he's got some incredible stuff for helping you kind of show up, especially on video. And again, with the podcasts, um, we plan the content structure in advance. So we already know what I'm going to ask. We also do the clap process um, where we'll interview nowadays. We never used to do this. It's something we introduced a year ago. Uh, it puts the guest at ease quite often as well, where I'll just do that clap and then I'll go on to the next question. So it's super obvious where Priya uh, is going to edit our audio, et cetera. Stuff that we've built up over, the, I guess, the last six years of, of podcasting and, and doing video. Awesome. Talk to me a little bit about how you've utilized YouTube in association with your podcast or in association with your businesses, long form to short form to shorts. Sure. So I've not really utilized YouTube that well, if we're honest. 
it's something I really love doing, which is showing up on video and creating that valuable content. We've only got, say, I don't know, 1,200 or 300 uh, subscribers at the moment. We have this weird thing where some videos get thousands of hits, like the social media one we had recently, I think it's like at 2K views. And the following video after that, like got 120. So I have no idea <laughs> what I'm doing on YouTube at all. Um, but I, one thing I do know is I'm having a blast. The second thing I know is that it is the single biggest source of traffic to our then podcast website, weirdly enough. So clearly, even though we don't have the subscribers, we're still getting enough views and enough people then clicking to say, oh, well, what's this podcast all about? So YouTube is driving a lot of our traffic to that. It's also driving a lot of our SEO. So, you know, selfishly, we're doing it for that reason as well. The shorts are a recent experiment to see if we can promote both podcast episodes, but also the YouTube episodes that we're doing. So can we glean out a very small piece of wisdom from one of the videos that I did and then have that in a short? So far, we've only found one kind of went viral, which was talking about how to, how you don't need to create your own content for social media. Uh, you can use other people's links and share that. I mean, it's a very basic concept, but obviously people were clearly looking for that and that got thousands of views. But then everything else, you know, it's just falling flat and people found it boring. But that's fine. We're kind of early days. Uh, I say early days. I've been YouTubing for three years and being very temperamental with it. So, uh, yeah, that's probably not the professional answer I should have given. I should have said it skyrocketed our business, but I just love playing around with it, really. It's like a testing ground. Yeah, I've been doing it for six years now, and it still sometimes feels like throwing darts at a dartboard because I've got a lot of experience with some videos that hit and some videos that don't. And I've learned a lot. I had my own little bag of tricks, but I tell you, you never know. I did a video about being a multi-creative, almost unedited, sitting in my lounge chair in my office. Never did a video like that ever before. It is still getting thousands of views like three years later. I've seen that video. Yeah. Well, lots of people have. It was a throwaway. It hit a nerve. And you never know. I've recently started accepting sponsorships for my YouTube channel as well. And one of the things I put on my sponsorship page was, if you want to talk about ROI, I don't do view count sponsorships because I never know what video is going to get a ton of views or not. The thing that you do know is that all these videos get views years and years later. So your sponsorship will live on in perpetuity. And people have to understand that social media sponsorship is not like a short-term advertising thing. I'm going to use that one. Thank you. I'm just adding that. I, I've never said that, especially even for podcast sponsorship. I keep forgetting that the content is evergreen. Yeah. I've got six-year-old episodes that are still getting hundreds of downloads. Yeah, exactly. Because the content's relevant. So yeah. Yep. And if the promotion is not time sensitive, then it's a brand awareness sort of promotion. It's good. They're still getting leads and years and years later. So their money is well spent. I mean, one of the things that you mentioned, though, that I would love to highlight for people who are listening is the impact of video on SEO. And because Google owns YouTube, they prioritize YouTube videos and search. And doing videos, it's almost worth doing videos just for the impact that it has on SEO for your brand because the competition for SEO results in Google, the bar is much, 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 much lower when it comes to video, I think. You've seen a lot of traffic to your podcast because of the videos that people have been watching. Have you seen things show up in Google search that you were surprised at that had to do with your videos or were driven by your videos? 
yeah, my face pops up for all sorts of random searches now, which takes people to the YouTube video, but that's fine because then they're going to find the podcast or so yeah, somehow find the podcast. It is a hack and maybe I'm doing it for the wrong reasons because it does improve the SEO. But what I'm doing, which is really important, which is what you do, is I'm showing up with honest value. I really want to help people. So I'm going to pick subjects that I think are really helpful that I think I can speak into. So that's really, really important. And that clearly resonates with some people. And again, that helps drive the traffic. So it's kind of a two-way thing. I'm getting paid in traffic, if that makes sense. And people are also getting value from what I've got to say. So it kind of feels like a little exchange going on there. Because yeah, uh, YouTube is still ridiculously untapped for SEO. People don't like to get in front of a camera. So people like you and me should. (laughs) And that will help our SEO. Because otherwise, I have no idea how else I'd drive traffic other than paid campaigns. Business people in lots of business categories have a hard time getting in front of camera. Teenagers and skateboarders and you know social media influencer wannabes have no problem getting in front of the camera. Yeah, I'll, I'll put myself in the teenager category, of course. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm cool. <laughs> Do you utilize podcasting, YouTube? Are you on IG, Twitter? What other kind of social platforms are you leveraging for your business? Try to limit it or do you try to be everywhere? All right. So January the 6th of 2021 was the exact same time as the raid on the Capitol, but that just absolutely sent me in a spiraling hate for social media because the amount of toxicity that was just being thrown on all platforms, it just sent me in a kind of a depressive spiral and I've avoided social media, at least on a personal level for like a year and a half, which also means For Trailblazer, we haven't posted as much because it's just my team posting as and when with little direction from me because I've had very little interest in social media. I've kind of seen it as the enemy and just wanted to just forget about it for a while. Needless to say, I am back, thankfully, uh, about a month ago, believe it or not now. I had COVID and I think the whole idea of not getting COVID for two years and it hanging over our family and the concerns we had about it infecting our baby or uh, you know my daughter who's had operations, et cetera. And then it actually wasn't that bad in the end and we've had it and we can now get out of the house and we're free. It seems to have kind of unlocked something in my brain. I kind of feel like I've gotten out of that depressive cycle. I was saying just the other day, I think I've got my mojo back. We've jumped back into social media, but we are only focused, at least for ourselves, primarily on uh, Facebook, especially the Facebook group, because that's one of the most engaged spaces that we have. We're looking at Facebook, and then we're trying to decide whether it's going to be Twitter or Instagram. We only want to do one extra thing beyond, let's face it, YouTube is also as a social media platform, isn't it, as well as a search engine. So we've got Facebook, YouTube, and then we're trying to decide between Twitter and Instagram or just drop them both. Instagram never drives traffic. It gets likes. We've got 9,000 followers on there, not very engaged followers. I think it might be a waste of time. We've got Twitter and I get involved in a few conversations, but my passion isn't there. LinkedIn is as boring as hell, uh, at least for me. This isn't business advice, by the way. This is just me (laughs) projecting what I think of social media. You're a successful business guy. And I think it's important for people to hear that there are different ways of going about it. I have had a similar experience with Twitter personally. In what you were just talking about in that social realm, Is that for Trailblazer or is that for Event Engine? As for Trailblazer, we actually don't do much uh, at all for Event Engine. Event Engine is a completely different beast that's still... The service business. Yeah, it's a service business and it still works in a very old-fashioned way where you network, you go to other people's events and you meet people there. Uh, But also because of the high staff turnover in the events business, once you've made a really good impression on an event manager and they move on to another events company, you're the first person they call up. So 
yeah, we've never really had to drive masses of traffic or anything in Event Engine. It's just kind of grown, well, exactly how it did when it started back in the early noughties, which is kind of weird. It's a completely different beast. So what do you do in your Facebook group for the Trailblazer community? What goes on there? Ask random questions to get people to engage, mainly to get them to share what their problems are and then either try and help them or give them content that we've done in the past to help them or pair them with other people. A few years ago, I, uh, you know, our business uh, was in the absolute depths of despair. I felt trapped in the business. We had heaps of debt. I couldn't really give up the company. If I did, then the debt would follow me to my home and we'd be bankrupt. It was a really nasty situation to be in. We had clients arguing with us. We had suppliers chasing us down for money. I was basically in a living hell. We somehow managed to turn that around, trade out of it. This was during the recession of 2007, 2008. Uh, beyond that, we were able to trade out of it and become successful businesses, etc. What does trade out of it mean? Trade out of it means make enough money to pay off the debts and then start to make profit. So trading out of it was we worked our asses off for like seven days a week for at least a year. Dig yourselves out. Yeah, to dig ourselves out of a very bad hole. Uh, we could have either just said, right, that's it, pull the towel in and lose nearly everything, or we could trade our, our way out of it by doing more work and working with different people, different types of projects. I mean, this is a whole other podcast, mate, in its own right on how we did that. In fact, I've got a whole podcast on that as well, if people are interested. I'll send you a link. Uh, <laughs> What's that? You're, if you remember the title. I, I, I need to go Google it. No, I need to go okay. Google it. Yeah. <laughs> I got to Google myself. <laughs> I got to Google myself. I can't remember which one it is. We've got three, 400 episodes. Yeah. Send me the link. I'll put it in the show notes. Absolutely. Yeah. So do you do any anything with lives? I mean, I know you do events, obviously, but you're producing other people's. Do you do live streams for your Facebook group or on YouTube? or Not as many uh, since that kind of falling out of love with social media, but I did start a couple of weeks ago with my first live stream back, which was really nice. And people were very welcoming and I've got another live stream due next week. So very early days for me getting back into it. I used to live stream nearly every day and that was great. And that would drive traffic again to the podcast, which was phenomenal. It was a great way really of, of saying, Hey, this week's subject is whatever, break it down over a whole load of lives and keep referring back to the podcast to get people to go listen to that. So was this live on Facebook or YouTube? In the Facebook group, but that absolutely exhausted me. So I don't recommend it. That's why I'm doing once a month now. Were your Facebook lives kind of Q&As or were you presenting content or you know, did you have a slide deck? They were a mixture of the both. I had a list of bullets. Give me, if I've got a list of bullets and give me a time, I will talk as long as you need me to talk for. So that's what I would do basically in the hope that people would show up and ask questions so that that would give me a break. And I would then answer questions. And I have still to this day, a very good kind of small circle of friends where I'd ping them and say, guys, I'm going online. If you can ask a question, that would be super helpful. But thankfully, more often than not, they didn't have to. People would still show up and ask questions. Warning, the lesson I've learned by taking a year out or a year and a half out is that Facebook will punish you. So I am slowly being unpunished. Facebook is slowly learning that I'm back and that we're starting to you know, show up with content and engagement's going up and people are seeing the content of the group again. It is taking a bit of work to get all of that back. Although on the flip side, the break was phenomenal and, and having time with family and my newborn who's now 20 months old and doesn't sleep. But anyway, that's... And you don't either. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't a clue what I'm doing. How do you get them to sleep? Uh, I'm exhausted. <laughs> uh, Lee, it's been awesome having you back on the show. I always end with one question and Go for it. do you have a personal mantra or a manifesto that you try to live your life by a personal mantra oh i don't know 
All right. I like to say, and I remind myself of this all the time, that small achievable actions lead to big change. I'm a massive believer in breaking anything down into really small achievable things that can be done within minutes. So for example, I decided I was going to write a book and I wrote 500 words a day, which was only about 15 minutes a day. Super, super achievable. Over the course of two months, I had my first manuscript ready for editing. So that's the sort of thing I will do. It's exactly the same in business. If we've got any sort of big projects, we'll try and break it down into small achievable actions and spread it out across the team. And that's literally, you know, breaking it down into our chunks here or there and who's going to do what so that we can just make it as easy as possible. It's a lot of work at the beginning of a project to do that. And you never guess it right, obviously, but uh, it does help people go, oh, it's my hour on X project this morning. And then I get to do something else. So yeah, small achievable actions lead to big change, I guess is the mantra. Love it. That's great. That's great. I'm going to take that with me today. So if people want to engage with you, where do you want them to find you? Come and find me on trailblazer.fm and you'll find everything else from there. Awesome. Well, Lee Matthew Jackson, thank you so much for coming on the Brand Design Masters podcast. It's great talking to you. Thank you. All righty. Take care. If you'd like to help support the Brand Design Masters podcast, please rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, if you want to stay up to date on all our content, products, courses, and live video shows, head over to philipvandusen.com slash muse and sign up for the Brand Muse newsletter. That's where we share all the latest news, resources, articles, books, and videos that we recommend to help you build and improve your creative practice, personal brand, and business. That's philipvandusen.com slash muse, M-U-S-E. Thanks again for listening. Bye for now.